Welcome to Discover Healthier, everything you need to know about health brought to you by Discovery Health. I'm Azania Musaka. You can join the conversation as we explore some of the most pressing matters in the healthcare environment today. A wide variety of topics and specialist guests will empower you to care for your health now and in the future. She's a medical officer, chair of the Rural Doctors Association of South Africa, an Umtombo graduate and trustee, as well as a princess of the Ngumalo royal clan, having married a prince from the family. Dr. Lungileng Ngumalo's passion for rural health care knows no bounds, and it all started with the support she received from Umtombo. So, Dr. Lungileng Malo, it's a pleasure to have you with us. Can you tell us a little bit about your background? I am Dr. Hobe, commonly known as Lungile. I am Mrs. Malo. I was born in Mseleni by a uh, Manyao Hobe, who was a staff nurse in Mseleni Hospital. and had been retired. I grew up in the area and matriculated from a local school called Zizengelen High School. And then after that, I went and studied medicine at UKZN um, mm. between 2001 and 2006. And how were your schooling years just now when you reflect on your time at the school that you went to? How was that? I think for me, schooling has really always been about friendships. The earlier years are really just innocent years. You make friends and you just stick with them almost forever. So Mseleni is in a, in, in a deep rural area. So even though my parents could afford me shoes, I just remember really enjoying walking to school barefoot. Um, and I remember my teachers once calling me and actually explaining to me that the other kids that were walking to school barefoot was because they just didn't have the shoes. And they knew that I had shoes because my mom bought me shoes. So they it, they sort of came back on me in trying to force me to wear shoes to school. And just reflecting back on that now, I think just that looking at the poverty at that time really just shaped my decisions and the the love for this area. And I still have a, a whole lot of faith in actually seeing this area improving in the near future. You talked about your mom. Your mom was a pillar of strength when you grew up. Just tell us a little bit about how she inspired you, you know, when you were young as a child, how she inspired you to become a doctor. So basically, being a doctor was my mom's dream. <laughs> if my my mom didn't dream of becoming a doctor, I probably wouldn't have gone into medicine. But for me, going into medicine was a way of just giving back to her. She had been our pillar as kids growing up. Our father was almost always away except for December holidays when the factory would be closed down. My father was a heavy-duty driver, so he would always be traveling all over the country. But my mom would be home with us. And what was really inspiring about my mom was that even though she was a a rural girl, she grew up in in Guavuma area, she maintained very high hopes for her life. She had 
dreams and aspirations. And, you know, at some point, she was meant to become a Sangoma or something. And she decided that she was going to despise that and just follow her dream of becoming a nurse. Even though the dream of becoming a nurse wasn't complete in a way for her, because she actually wanted to become a doctor because of the lack of resources, she then became a nurse. But I mean, looking back at her stories of her childhood, they would walk for miles and miles across the South African border into Swaziland to buy simple things like bread and flour, and they would. Her, her and her mom would then make that cookies to sell to the local community so that she could afford schooling at that point. And growing up for me, she still maintained that mentality of actually wanting to equip us as her children to then be able to be independent when we grow up. And as a result, um, she taught me how to make my own clothes, taught me how to cook and bake, taught me how to crochet and knit and all sorts. But when we were growing up, I remember we were growing chickens to sell to the local community. And then we also had uh, chickens that produced eggs, so egg layers. And she would teach us all about maintaining that and actually then handling the business side of things and handling the cash as well and finding orders and you know, and, and keeping the clients happy. In as much as she was a nurse, um, she still tapped into a whole lot of avenues um, and she made sure that as her children, we were involved in that as well so that we can learn to be independent and we can always dream big. And she would always advocate for us to read and learn and, you know, she, she was just a whole lot of things in our lives really growing up. It was a car accident that nearly took her life, in fact, that helped to further shape and define this decision to become a doctor. So how did that incident, you know, the the, the harm, the, the nearly losing her, propel you to be final about this decision? So I still remember that day as vividly as if it was yesterday. <laughs> So every day when my mom would come back from work, the path that she would use was directly sort of opposite our main door. So around four o'clock every afternoon, I would sit on our veranda reading a book. And, you know, it was almost like automatic that my eyes would be watching (laughs) as I would be reading. And then that day, my mom didn't pitch around Twenty past four, where she often pitches, because then whenever she would pitch, I would then run to her to help her carry her bag. So that day, four o'clock came, five o'clock came, six o'clock came, and my mom wasn't home. And then suddenly, I think it might have been around after dark already, a vehicle from the hospital drove in, and everyone jumped up, we were happy because we thought, ah, oh, my mom is finally here. And to our surprise, mom wasn't there. These two men jumped out of the vehicle and they told us that they were bringing our mom's stuff home because my mom had been involved in a very bad accident such that her partner had actually died on the spot. And we were not allowed to then go see her for a few months. I was nine years old at that time because it was 1993. Um, It happened in June. 
So we were not allowed to go see her in the hospital. But looking back at that particular point, we thought that we could potentially lose our mom. But with the doctors in the hospital and then when whenever they could not manage her, then referring her to King Edward Hospital and the care that she got from there really got me thinking, we are in a rural hospital. Had there not been a doctor available to save my mom's life, she would be dead. And that really, really pushed me into becoming a doctor and having the passion to then come back home. Because like even today, one of the things that I think about being here is if my mom collapsed at home, um, who would be there to save her? Because we are about 150 kilometers away from the nearest private hospital. We are about 30 kilometers away from your local GP. So the first point of contact for anyone in our community, if they collapse, will be to come to the hospital. And that is one of the things that really drives me into believing that we can make rural health care ideal and actually we can improve the quality of rural health care so that it actually caters to the needs of the people that it serves. And how did you find out about the Umtombo Youth Development Foundation? So that was another funny story. <laughs> because at university, we were divided into small groups and twice a week we would meet with our supervisor so then once when we split into a small group, I then met Andrew Ross's mother who asked me if I had met her son. And I had actually met Andrew the previous holidays in December. So whenever I would come home, I would go to the hospital, the Lenny Hospital, to just have the, the practical experience. So the one time um, Dr. Friedland from Insulin Hospital invited us to go with him to the launch of, of Friends of Mortal. So that's how I had met Dr. Ross. So then after meeting his mother, it was 2003, early in the year, so maybe around March, that she then said, no, I'll book an appointment for you to go meet my son again and see what we can discuss, you know, when it comes to sponsoring you, because I understand that you still on the loan and um, whatever. I then, I think it must have been the following week that she came back to me and she said, please go up and meet my son. He's on the fourth floor, call me the office number. So I went there and I found Andrew Ross and he then asked me whether... I had sponsorship, who was paying my fees. So at that point, I was on Netflix, and my mom was paying the family contribution because she was working. And then that's how I met Andrew Ross. And then from that time, then he indicated that Friends of Moscow, which is now on Tombo, would maybe be looking at sponsoring me and asked for me to then put in an application. Mm. And that's how I started the relationship with him. Mm, a moment of chance, you know, started this beautiful relationship. <laughs> so take me back to your university years. You know, what was it like to go from Mseleni, where you grew up, and then to this university, this massive campus with a different way, of course, of study and with students from all over the place? What were some of the challenges? What was life like in that to, to make that transition? 
there was a lot. <laughs> so basically, um, I told you earlier that I used to make my own clothes. Um, so when I got to university, nobody understood my style or I remember this one girl saying, oh, no. How come your legs are fairer than your face? Your face is much darker than your body, you know? So I just didn't fit in. I had a strange sense of style. No one understood where it came from. And my English wasn't that great, you know, coming from a rural school when there's people that are coming from Model C schools and colleges around Durban and from all over the country. I just remember this one incident that we were supposed to do a presentation on ourselves. And the title of my presentation was The Jungle Girl, because no one knew where Mseleni was. Every time I said I was from Mseleni, people were like, where is that? Mm. <laughs> so I would have to explain it somewhere past Mpangeni, and they, they would be like, oh, Mseleni. And I would have to say no. It's not Mseleni, it is Mseleni, which is almost by the border of Mozambique. When you are in Mseleni, you still have about 150 kilometers to drive mm. before you get there. So for me, being a jungle girl meant that no one knew where I was from. So I was from some jungle in the middle of nowhere. I was not understood very well, so I must have been some kind of animal. <laughs> And then when I stood on that podium to then present this jungle girl, there was a little bit of noise between speakers, uh, between the last speaker and myself. And then I wanted to say attention, everyone. And for some reason, attention came out. And then the whole class just burst out laughing. And I could have just dug a hole right there on that podium and hit myself. But it was at that point that I decided, you know what, I will never fit into this crowd, but I have a purpose on earth. And that purpose is to inspire every little girl out there who feels that they are inadequate, who feels that they do not belong, who feels that they may never be enough for their peers or for their parents or for everyone else. But at that point, I started saying to myself, I am enough for myself and I can do this for myself. And I started self-learning English, you know. My friends sometimes with some pronunciations will correct me. I remember arguing the one time with a friend of mine because I was saying Dao is true because that's what my high school teacher had um, taught me. <laughs> So I had to sort of unlearn all the bad habits in speaking the language and learn new ones. And I mean, it's an ongoing struggle. I can't say that my English is perfect now, but I'm actually very happy with the progress that I've made. Oh, what an incredible story. Be gracious. Be gracious with yourself. You've done incredible things over the years. As Dr. Ross says, um, you guys are the heroes in this particular story uh, because of the obstacles and the challenges you've managed to overcome to get to where you are. So, oh, be kind and cut yourself some slack. You've done incredibly well. But how important 
is it for you to have had that mentorship, that support that Umtombo provided? Did it help you to stay focused? Did it help you to not cave in when you had the eyes, the criticism and people just not understanding you in that environment? Funny that you would ask that because in 2018, I was invited to go talk to a rural health conference, which was in Joburg, about mentorship. And that invitation actually got me reflecting on my journey with mentorship. And we'll talk about my role in Budassa right now a bit later. But what I realized was without mentorship, only a few exceptional people can really thrive in certain environments. Looking back and reflecting on my mentorship journey actually took me back home where my mom would say, I can teach you all things, but I cannot make your decisions for you. You will have to make those, those decisions for yourself. And then going to university and meeting Andrew who says, you have to, have to, have to pass. Um, so that you can become the healthcare worker that we want you to be. But we cannot make the right or wrong decisions for you. At the end of the day, you have to make them. We are just there to guide you and provide a safety net and provide a safety place for you to actually come. And what was very nice about the journey was that you, you become accountable to someone. So... It maybe would have been easy for me to say, ah, you know, I've had it with university. I'm just going to drop out or I'm just going to live my life anyhow or my friends are doing drugs, so I'm going to do drugs as well. But uh, we had to meet with, with Andrew on, a, on quite a regular basis. And mainly because of that, you then look at your life and you think, I am here to work. I'm here to get that degree and I'm here to make my community proud and it's not just my community now or my family. Andrew and the scholarship actually became a family. You had to be accountable to someone. If you had not done well in a test, you had to sit in a meeting and say exactly why have you not done well. So to avoid that, you had to, had to, had to pass and you had to protect yourself from HIV. You had to protect yourself from a whole lot of other things because there was now someone who was like a daddy at university that you had to account to. Are there other graduates from Umtombo, other doctors, other medical practitioners uh, in rural healthcare that you've been able to look up to, whose achievements you've been inspired by? Yes, there is. There is a few, actually. So... There is Franz Mumalo, who is an optometrist who went to Mossfold after graduating and actually developed an optom department almost from scratch. It may have been one of the only optom departments that may have been in the district at that particular time. And then his journey didn't just end there. He went on to then get involved to the optom service chain that will visit rural areas and hard-to-reach areas looking after grannies who cannot, you know, have ever dreamt of having classes to read or having an eye exam. And it's just such great stories that inspire you to do more 
every day, really. And then the other person is Uspamandla uh, Mgonozulu as well, who's a psychologist, uh, who was also one of the first psychologists that we've ever had in this district. He used to work in Shabisa, but then he would visit all the other hospitals to try and provide psychology services to those hospitals. And he's actually now sort of withdrawn a little bit, but what has happened is that he's left a legacy to an extent that almost all these hospitals, the five hospitals within Umkanyagute district, now have a psychologist who's permanently um, employed within each facility, which is amazing work. Yes, that's just, it is, you're right, absolutely amazing work. Now, Lungile, you are a mom. You're a mom of two, but you are also an Inglungkulu, a princess, as part of the royal family. Your husband is a prince from the Ngumalo clan. So what sort of responsibilities fall on you because you're a doctor and you're also a member of the royal family in the area? been a, a, a very difficult role to carry around because I'm someone who who's playful in a way. I think I've embraced being a child to the core. And um, with that said, being a doctor means that the community puts you on a pedestal. And then on top of that, being an unlungulu also then means you are someone of prestige. And for me, I must say it has been quite difficult coming back now because I, I got married in 2014. At that time, I was doing my rich time in family medicine and I was in Bethesda. So I came back to Mseleni in 2018. So there was a few things that I needed to get over um, for myself. As an Unlungulu in this community, you can wear pants. And then at work, we run around. You know, I cannot be running around and jumping on patients' beds, doing recesses in skirts. So for me, it meant sitting down my family in law and actually explaining that, you know, at work, I may have to wear pants and see if they would accept that. And going beyond then how I carry myself as Unzungulu or as a doctor within the community, it also means that I'm a role model, not just to the young women in the community, but also to the elderly in the community, because now I am part of the royal house. So for me, it means that I need to be careful of how I carry myself at all times, because a whole lot of people look after me or look up to me. And then also I need to be able to advocate for this community. And for me, that was part of the reason that I came back. Because for me, I've realized that healthcare goes way beyond medicines and clinics and hospitals, but it goes right into the core of the community where we look at the determinants of health. So as the royal house, one of the questions that I asked my husband like um, on the first day that we spoke was, what is the royal house doing for this community? Because it's a deep rural community and they need to be doing something about it. And now over the years, that question has turned 
away from my husband to me or towards myself. So what am I doing for this community? So this is why I have so much passion about rural development and I have so much passion about women empowerment and just about people knowing who they are, so their identity and discovering what their role in society is. My husband and I are currently busy drawing up a plan to actually go into the community um, and start forging our way into developing this community, which we are very excited about. And since you came back to work in your community, have you noted things that are lacking in rural health care in that space? Oh, definitely. There was a lot of things that were lacking. For instance, one of the successes is us having two new anesthetic machines. So when I came back here in 2018, I discovered that Mussolini still had, I would say, maybe a plus minus 30-year-old anesthetic machine that only used halothane. And that also meant that we could not do or offer general anesthetics to pregnant ladies because halothane then makes the uterus not to contract. So we, we had to knock on a number of doors, some being slammed on our faces, together with the medical manager that I adore very much, Dr. Habo. So eventually, towards the end of last year, we actually got our anesthetic machines working and they're beautiful. So just coming back and realizing such things, then, you know, being able to then impact change and have them delivered and functional within the, the hospital is actually quite impressive. And it's because of those insights that you're able to contribute in the way that you do, because your other positions currently are that you're a trustee of the Mtombo Youth Development Foundation. Then you're also the chair of RUDASA, that's the Rural Doctors Association of South Africa. And then you're the council member for a local NGO called Lulisandla. So those insights, they clearly feed your ability to be able to to shape other spaces and continue to shape healthcare in rural areas. Definitely, definitely. You know, my involvement with Lulisandra Gumtwana is uh, really about community involvement. So when you extend a hand to a child, it starts from making sure that we have functional homes, we have marriages that work, we have units that believe in love, we have societies that are functional, that are free of drugs, that are free of violence, that are progressive, that are successful. So if we say we extend a hand to a child, These are just all of the projects that the local NGO is busy doing. We are against domestic violence. We are against sexual trauma and discrimination. We are for preserving marriages. And, you know, for me, being involved in such initiatives also means that when I identify such cases within the hospital, I know where to refer them. And I have a good relationship with the NGO as well. And working with the NGO has also opened my eyes to a number of avenues that still need to be tapped into. So, for instance, things like 
fundraising and just getting the community to be involved in, in own such initiatives within the community. So what is your work on RUDASA? So on RUDASA, I'm currently the chair. I took over September of 2019. So currently I'm going to maintain the term of office for the next three years. And uh, we currently have a a three-year strategic plan on mentorship. So I'm very excited that this year we've been able to host our first sort of induction weekend, if you can call it that, or induction event for the Eastern Cape, where at the beginning of each year we're planning on rolling out these events to maybe the whole country where doctors from rural areas can meet up with maybe the consultants that they talk to in their referral centers, meet up with the stakeholders for Department of Health, where they can just, you know, network and form relationships so that we can bridge that gap of, you know, when you're on the line and calling another hospital, you're speaking to someone you've never met before, and the conversation ends up going south. <laughs> so we we just want to form relationships, really, within hospitals and within districts and within healthcare facilities as well, so that if there's a new doctor joining the team, they don't feel like they are alone. It also talks to resilience. It talks to, you know, the softer skills about how to manage stress and all those other things. So RUDASA is mainly a network of rural professionals where you can create a network where ideas can be shared. We are supported by uh, rural health advocacy projects where if there are any issues that need advocacy, we can report to them and they fight on our behalf. For instance, if there's an issue with doctors' posts being frozen or issues with equipment not being repaired in certain institutions, we can then get involved in negotiating that. But the biggest one of all is really just so currently our biggest drive is mentorship and just providing safety netting for rural doctors. So we are developing a learning portal on the RUDASA website where we will be feeding um, information so that people can access protocols for rural hospitals easily. I read somewhere where you said that you believe that hospitals need to be more appealing to health workers who who want to work in, in rural areas and also the doctors who find themselves there but just simply don't have learning and development opportunities. Do you want to add to just some of the learnings that you've had since going back? Yes, thank you for that. One of the things is if you are posted in a rural hospital, most doctors believe that your life is almost like at a standstill at that point. But as you would know that I did my family medicine register program in a rural hospital. So I believe that we have a big gap to fill when it comes to learning in rural hospitals. So part of that or part of addressing that is then developing the learning portal, which is an online thing. Anyone in any way in the country, once it's uh, up and running, can be able to then access it. 
But from Selene specifically, we actually do grain ward rounds every morning. We started doing drills, research drills, and we have something called ESMO, which is essential steps in the management of uh, obstetric of, uh, of emergencies. So we do that every month. And on top of that, we, we started a study group in a way where we're saying if you have anything that you want to study, we have protected time in the evening that we get together. If you want to discuss something, you can have a few brains that you can discuss with. If you just want protected time to sit and read in a corner somewhere, that's what you would do. But on top of that, UKZN has helped us with Wi-Fi for at least those people that are registered with them so they can access their articles and do their research while they're out here. And then we also got some money from Discovery that we are using to develop a learning center. So computers, books, latest journals that we're going to put in there, we're currently just renovating the place or the space that we're going to use for that. Just to have a protected area where people can learn without being disturbed. If you want to do your diploma, you can do that away from all the noise of maybe your family or from your ward during the day. As a trustee of Umtombo, is this your way of giving back to the Umtombo Youth Development Foundation? <laughs> no, no. I still have my own dream of how I would give back to Umtombo. So this was merely Umtombo asking me, I think mainly because I'm someone who's still serving within the community so that I can maybe inspire others to come back and serve as well. But also looking at the fact that I have the best interest of my community. So then they trust me to then you know, come up with ideas of how to then improve the scholarship. But I I haven't given back at all. Um, that is still within the pipeline. You are yet to start. <laughs> I am yet to start. How long? <laughs> and I trust God will give me the power to do that. Yes. How long do you plan on staying in Mseleni? <sighs> For now, um, I would say probably the next two, three years, because I have a long-term plan for this area. So even if I do go away in maybe the next three to five years, the plan is to always come back because there's definitely a long-term plan for the area in the community. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Thank you for um, considering me. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, you'll be moved and inspired by other episodes in the Discover Healthier podcast series, celebrating the achievements of South African medical doctors. Be sure to tune in to hear my interviews with more remarkable medical professionals who've been supported by Discovery's funding and vision for excellence in South African private and public health care. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of Discover Healthier, brought to you by Discovery Health. Join the conversation on social media with the hashtag Discover Healthier and tag at Discovery underscore SA. You can subscribe to our podcast channel, Discovery South Africa, on your favorite podcast app or visit discovery.co.za to listen to our shows. 